This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, where I happen to serve as pastor, or anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. It forms the basis of the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on October 9, 2022. It's the final week in a five-week series called Back to Basics as we explore the essentials of the Christian life. These opening verses in the book of Jeremiah focus on his call and how he's invited to share in this ministry that God has invited him into. We begin in the first three verses learning a bit about Jeremiah's background. You know, Jeremiah was a prophet at a critical time in Jewish history, before and during their exile. The city of Anathoth, where Jeremiah was from, was about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. And it's on the edge of the wilderness that descends from the mountains down to the Jordan River. It says in the text that he is the son of Hilkiah, a priest, part of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah would have become a priest one day himself, possibly. And this course, in many ways, was charted out for him being the son of a priest. Now, it tells us in terms of timing, this is in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, and that Jeremiah's tenure as a prophet begins then, continues through the reign of Jehoiakim, and then ultimately through Zedekiah. Those are roughly the years 627 to 587. Now, in that list, the text tells us Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, there are two other kings that were omitted who had very, very brief reigns, one of them after Josiah, the other after Jehoiakim. Now, Zedekiah, the last king in that list, his reign ends with the conquering of the southern kingdom of Judah and its chief city, Jerusalem, by the Neo-Babylonian kingdom under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. That conquering by the Neo-Babylonian kingdom happens in three different waves. The first one is in 605, the next one is in 597, and the next is in 586. So it's almost a 20-year span of time when the city of Jerusalem was uh, besieged in some way by the Babylonian, Neo-Babylonian kingdom. And, And so part of this history that we read about these particular kings that ruled over Judah uh, is that they're portrayed by virtue of their either either their obedience or disobedience to the commands and laws of God. It's often described as this word fidelity, fidelity to the covenant, the covenant God had made with Israel. Fidelity to the covenant was measured by observance of Jewish law. And in this thread of kings, the text names three of them, but there are actually five altogether, only Josiah was the last king of Judah in any form of fidelity of that covenant. In other words, those who followed Josiah, those kingly rulers over Judah and Jerusalem, uh, practiced various forms of idolatry. They, they integrated the religious cult of other communities around them. They, they didn't maintain a sense of witness uh, the way jo- Josiah did. So from the start of Jeremiah's ministry, we see a young person 
who in many ways, because of his father's vocation, where he lives, what group of people he's a part of, that vocation is charted out for him. Jeremiah is destined for priestly work. Either he's going to function as a priest in the Jewish temple, or he's going to be involved in the priestly work that takes place in Jerusalem one way or the other. The trouble is, is that the very temple in which Jeremiah's father worked and which he may end up working one day was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in 586. So from the start, we see a young person whose vocation is charted out, but instead he finds himself with a very different call. Rather than being in priestly work, Jeremiah finds himself with a call to prophetic ministry. And it's a key passageway for us in this text that that God's invitation and call are often unexpected. Jeremiah certainly assumed a certain role for himself. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And we too often look simply at what common sense tells us about what we should be doing with our, our lives, and we rely on common sense to tell us what other people should be doing with their lives. And we're, uh, as human beings, often more apt to tell other people what they should be doing with our, their lives rather than our own. What we read in this text, even in these early verses, that God is working and moving in unexpected and unusual and unlikely ways. It's almost counterintuitive. If there was anyone who was born and bred to be a priest, it would be Jeremiah. But instead, he's called for something different. We have to remember that God's invitation and call are often unexpected. The Lord may simply defy expectations. God calls the young man, Jeremiah, into ministry in verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 1. We read these words, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Verse 5 is a rich verse that's often, to be honest, quoted out of context. It involves three different things that God describes that, are, that, that he is doing in this call. First, there's foreknowledge. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Uh, God's natural order is already expressed in the womb. God knows who Jeremiah is even before he's born. It is... It's not any less God's order just simply because it's the natural order of things. God knows who Jeremiah is even before he's born, and as if God would know all of us before we are born. This is normative. This doesn't mean that that this situation for Jeremiah lacks God's presence and power or that we would lack it. It's simply the affirmation that God knows him even before he's born. And then he goes on, the second act of this call is this consecration in verse, the second part of verse five, and I, and before you were born, I consecrated you. There's this consecration, and it's this, this, this uh, setting of a path for Jeremiah even before his birth. That what we learn here is that God has a call and purpose for Jeremiah's life. This consecration that has been set forth even before he's born. This is very, very congruous with what we read in the New Testament. For example, Paul in Romans eleven twenty nine says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. This doesn't mean that Jeremiah's consecration as a prophet has been predestined. It simply means that God is moving in this way and calling Jeremiah and telling Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew who you were. I have set you for this role before you were even born. And then the third phrase in verse five, and I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, this divine appointment is nothing new, even before birth. 
you know, what's odd about this isn't the, so much the divine appointment, but that it's a divine appointment to be a prophet to the nations. No other prophet in the entire Bible has this particular calling, a calling to the nations. Now, certainly his message was directed to the people of Judah, but it's also to other nations as well. And that this entire story of foreknowledge, of consecration, of being appointed has long been envisioned by God. And that there is a need for a prophet during this season, and the need for that prophet is clear. Jeremiah himself will balk at this call, but ultimately God will persuade him. And that opens a key passageway for us here, that God's grace is at work for us and the world before we even come into being. Now, we are not eternal beings. God is. So as such, time looks very different to the divine than to us. So it's very difficult for us to trace who we are before our birth, obviously. But the way God understands this and the way that God lives in that continuum of time is is different. We don't have enough time to unpack what that means theologically, much less philosophically. Suffice it to say that it, it's difficult to explain and that, that our experience of God's grace verifies the evidence somehow that God is at work moving even before we had an awareness of it. This, this fifth verse of Jeremiah 1 is what we Wesleyans or Methodists call a prevenient grace. God somehow at work before we even had an awareness of it. And that's true in Jeremiah's case. Now, once illumined with faith, once we have that faith, we can see all those moments and movements of God in the past. But until we have that moment of faith, until we come to that point of acceptance, it's difficult for us to see all those moves that have come before. God is always working for our sake, for the sake of the world, and we're invited into that work. That's the purpose of God's call for Jeremiah. It's the purpose of God's call for each and every one of us. Now, Jeremiah, of course, has a response to this invitation that God has put on him. And Jeremiah offers a a twofold excuse to this invitation and calling God has put to him. And they're both in verse 6. Then I said, Jeremiah, O Lord God, because I do not know how to speak and because I am a youth. So Jeremiah is saying there are two reasons why I can't do this. I don't know how to speak and I'm too young. And these are not uncommon excuses. There are many such call stories just like this in the Bible. The call of Moses, Abram, Deborah, Gideon, Samson, Isaiah, Amos, Saul. There are so many biblical characters that have this kind of a call story, and many of them describe a rationale for why they can't respond. Jeremiah's first reason is either because he may not speak very well, or he doesn't even know what to say, does not know how to speak. In either case, He's not a person with a message looking for a call. It is in this case that he is a person that has a call, and now God is going to give him the message. And his second excuse is that he's too young, and he's focused on his age, and this has everything to do with priestly convention. Remember, Jeremiah grew up in a priestly household, son of Hilkiah. He was in, the, in Hilkiah, he was going to be become uh, this, uh, uh, this priest serving in the Jewish temple, there was a certain trajectory that that kind of life had to it and that he would not assume any priestly duties like his father Hilkiah um, until he was well into his 20s and perhaps even 30 years old. 
So he sees this current call, which as best we can tell comes to him around the age of 20, as a bit out of his league. You see, his vision of what God can do is framed around who he currently is. It's not framed around what he might become. That's another key passageway for us here, is that common sense too often governs our spiritual discernment. You see, Jeremiah sees this situation through the lens of his own state and limitations. He, he can't see past who he currently is. He cannot wrap his mind around what God may and what God can do. And this is why when we read these texts of calling in the Bible, there's so often a push by God against these excuses in Scripture. And the push against them isn't really about being punitive or even pejorative. In some sense, when we make these excuses based on our own common sense, we question God's amazing capacity to do great things, especially when we say we can't do them. So, a question for us to wonder about is is this, is are our excuses really about our limitations or are they really about our limitations of God? So finally, God responds to Jeremiah's uh, excuses that he doesn't know how to speak and that he's a youth. And in verse seven, God speaks to it explicitly. The Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. God's responses to Jeremiah are more patient than the other responses we read in the Bible. There's other stories of calling where people had an excuse for one reason or another that they couldn't do what God had called them to do. And the the interchange or exchange between Jeremiah and God in this text is a little bit more patient than other ones. They're, of course, about him being too young, him not knowing what to say. God says he's going to give him all of those things, that God's, God is capacity building with Jeremiah. And he's trying to help Jeremiah see a truth that, that God will provide at every moment. There's a, a very real sense that the acceptance of this call will involve a surrendering of his whole life. This is more than a job. This isn't about going to Jerusalem and doing your priestly duties and then coming home uh, on a weekly or monthly basis. This is about his whole identity. And so much so that in verse 9, it says that the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. What a confidence-building moment for Jeremiah when he says, I don't know what to say. God reaches out and touches his very mouth and tells him that he will have the words, hence the touch. There's one other episode that's similar to this, and it's the call of the prophet Isaiah. You can read in Isaiah 6 where, where it describes how the Lord takes a hot coal and touches it to the lips of the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks uh, as prophet. Very similar uh, stories between these two prophetic individuals. And then, as soon as this happens, where God touches his mouth, we return in verse 10 to the calling that God put on him in verse 5. It says, see, I've appointed you this day over nations and over kingdoms. It's resonant with what we read about in verse 5. It's almost repeating it in in slightly different language. Again, there's this idea of over nations and kingdoms. 
There's something about Jeremiah's words that will speak of something beyond just what the Judeans need to hear, that the Jewish community needs to receive, that there's something for all the nations here. But the, the message of Jeremiah is going to be a mixed message. In the end of verse 10, God tells Jeremiah that his message is one to root out and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So there's, there are six verbs there in verse 10, six verbs in the last part of verse 10. Uh, count the list carefully. Two of those verbs are positive and affirming, to build and to plant. Four of them are negative, root out, tear down, destroy, overthrow. Jeremiah is going to bring a message of judgment and consequences, but he's also going to bring a message of restoration. And, and this equipping of Jeremiah is central to the work that he is going to undertake as you read the rest of the, the book of Jeremiah. It opens up the key passageway for us here, the final one, and it's this, that God provides all that is needed, not that which we always want. There's no question that Jeremiah's message is going to be a mixed one. Obviously, root out, tear down, destroy, overthrow, and to build and to plant. He will face detractors. He will face those in authorities who reject his message. There will be persecution. But yet, he remains steadfast to the message God has given him, as God has been to him. So in other words, the message he declares is consistent with the God that has been revealed to him. So there's an authentic way in which Jeremiah conveys this commissioning and call that God puts on him. God provides what Jeremiah needs, not always that which he wants. The only way we can find ourselves toward this kind of life is by holding God's call and love this close. This sense of union between Jeremiah and God that we see in this calling in chapter one, and we'll see it several other times in the book of Jeremiah, becomes central to Jeremiah's capacity to bring his message. The only way one could do the work Jeremiah does is by having God's call and love this close. With it, we can withstand anything, but without it, we will likely wilt quickly. God provides all that's needed especially when our call and the invitation to serve God is mixed, when it's unexpected, when it defies common sense, when it seemingly looks like it's impossible. God always provides. We must take the step to move forward with it. If you have comments or reflections, I'd love to hear them about this week's episode of Passages. Visit my website, revcraig.com. Click on News in the upper right-hand corner. In the drop-down menu, you'll see Podcasts click on that, and then click on a particular episode and leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. I'd also invite you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, First Free Methodist Church, ffmc.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.